time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Today's broadcast is pre-recorded. You need only to be still. Verse 21, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed, Against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. So why did Jesus part the Red Sea? There was several reasons. One, back then God was carrying out his purpose to bring forth a holy nation to birth Jesus out of. Righteousness was being born. And why does God part the Red Sea right now for each one of you? Because God is carrying out his purpose bringing forth a holy people to enter into Jesus. If you don't understand God's purpose in your life, you won't stand still and wait for the deliverance that Jesus has for you. Instead, there will be confusion, upset, anxiety, Bitterness won't be able to wait. Just move on and do do your own thing. The most important thing to do is to seek Jesus for his purpose in your life. So there's another reason why God parts the Red Sea. And it's to bring forth righteousness. In the new covenant, innocence always comes first. Innocence is your deliverance. As God deals with you, with me, making us innocent from all sin, that is when the Red Sea parts. As we stand in prayer, deliverance comes through obedience, through doing exactly what Jesus tells you to do in walking innocently before him. Interesting, I looked up the word obedience, and it, translate, it translates to hupakusin, which literally means to stay under hearing. When I saw that, it fit very well in what Pastor has been speaking about the last week, in staying that faith is staying under the rhema word to each one of you. Obedience is to stay under what you hear God saying to you. So how many times has Jesus parted the Red Sea for you? So many times for me when I sat and asked myself that question. Jesus has come so many times in the impossible. In fact, several years ago, I was at a point of struggle in one of these storm situations and Jesus said, 
will you change for me? Will you change for me? So what steps of obedience do you need to take today for Jesus to part the Red Sea again for you? Because he will. It's part of his character. It's the God we serve. Welcome to the National Prayer Chapel. The message today, living as a stranger in the promised land, living as a stranger in the promised land. Almighty God, King of all the earth, I know we're strangers in this land. This is not our home. Lord, would you come today and open for us the place of comfort as we walk through this land? Lord, thank you. I pray in your name. Amen. It's been some time since I've had any sense of home. When Jan died, I lost the little bit of home that I had. We would always say to one another, home is where the heart is. So wherever we are, we're at home. We moved physically during the years of our marriage some 45 times. Home was not where we were geographically. Home was where our heart was. When I think of home, I think of mac and cheese. I think of apple pie. I think of the aromas of the kitchen. The kitchen in my home of origin was where almost all the family activity took place. That's where we gathered on Saturday night to play dominoes. It's where we would have the medvies over and we would all play dominoes. The kitchen was where we gathered to eat the mac and cheese. It's where the hot chocolate was served, always with marshmallows. Somehow food was so much associated with home, I can't separate home and food. They just seem to fit together like salt and eggs. Home is a comfort place. Home is where love is expressed. Home is where discipline occurs. My grandma always made rugs out of cloth that she would tear up from old clothing and wind it into a large ball. And then she would sit and hook the rugs. And of course, being boys, we like to get that ball and play catch with it. In the living room, twice I missed it when they threw it to me. And it went through the front window. And then all the rest of that day, with terror in my heart, I knew I had to face Dad. And I knew what he would do. And then I knew he would take me down to the store where we could buy panes of glass. And then he would have me help him take out the old shreds of glass, replace it, and putty it. It was a place of discipline and learning. That's part of what made home 
so wonderful because there were boundaries there. There were certain things you were not to do. And if you did, there was a consequence. And for a young person, a child, it's boundaries that makes home safe. Home has so many emotional connections to our hearts. And then a couple gets married, and they're astonished that home just automatically doesn't happen. And they have children, and they're astonished that the home is in confusion, and there's no comfort. And you say, what's wrong? Well, there's nobody there to make home safe. That's dad's job. That's mom's job. And some of you have no practice being mom and dad. And then suddenly you have children like Zach and Rochelle. How do we make home? I want to go fishing. I want to go do this. No, home is the center. One of the wonderful things happens to a couple when they get married is that they're not single anymore. And sometimes when a person gets married, they feel like they were kidnapped because they lost their freedom. I mean, I'm a single man now. I can sleep in if I choose. No kids are going to come and bounce on me. I can eat or not eat. I can go wherever I need to go. And I don't talk to anybody about whether I'm going to go there. But as soon as I'm married, I have family, and I have home. My house that I live in is not my home. I'm there alone. Home is where your heart is. I don't like living alone. Somehow, things seem to be worthwhile when you're doing it for another person. And when they're smiling and saying thank you. When I sit down to a meal that I cook, nobody says thank you. So I usually don't sit at the table to eat. I usually get my Bible and go sit in my study and and eat while I read the scripture. Nobody to talk to. So home has so many conflicting issues around it. Some of them very painful. Others of them very joyful. But home is something we deliberately choose to create. Home doesn't just happen by accident. Home, the very center of it, is caring about another person and choosing to create something for them. And in the process of creating something for them, we create it for ourselves as well. Many times I've gone over to to David and Catherine's and walked into the kitchen. And what do I see? I see mom with her rag. Wiping. Wiping. I think sometimes half of her life is wiping and doing dishes. She reminds me of my grandma. That's what grandma did with us for many years, living with us. She was always wiping and cleaning and making apple pies. You know, a part of us longs to be at home. That's why songs like I'll Be Home for Christmas always trigger a great emotional response. It's as though I'm away somewhere all year, but I'm going to get home for Christmas. And mom's going to be there, and dad's going to be there, and the family's going to be there, and brother and sister, and we're going to be together. Now, it's never as nice as we imagine it to be. Because inevitably a fight will break out. Some disagreement. That's part of being family. I look in the scriptures at being at home. And I find something that's very disturbing to my heart. 
And that is that we're not at home here. And the illusion that we are at home has to be surrendered. A Christian is called on a journey. Now, the motel you stop in for the night may be very comfortable. It may be very nice. But never have I been traveling, stayed at a wonderful hotel, and said in the morning, this hotel is so fine, I think I'm just going to live here. No, we don't say that. The next morning we say, this was a wonderful accommodation, if it was, if we didn't have a room beside the train tracks. We say, this was wonderful accommodation. But the next morning we want to get on the road early. My dad, he always wanted to be on the road before the sun came up. So I can remember many times being carried out to the car in my pajamas, because it was still dark. But dad had to be on the road before the sun came up. Didn't matter where we were going. We have these strange ways about us on this journey. And now we journey toward heaven. And some of you are always up before daylight. And some of you like to sleep in. But you're just staying in a motel. It's a temporary place. We're on a journey. And the journey is determined by where God is moving. Now, there are some people who live their whole lives even calling themselves Christians, who have never walked in the footsteps of God who have no clue what God is doing and have no understanding of the journey. Instead, their mac and cheese is Jesus. He's a comfort food for them as they're on their life agenda. So a person will have their favorite grocery store and their favorite workout place and their favorite Jesus and their life centers around what they've created for themselves in their little place of respite, their home on earth. I'm not interested in that kind of a place. I want to know where is God? For many years now, the central focus of my attention has been to know where is God? What's his agenda? What are the steps he's making? And can I walk with him in what he's doing? Not in what I'm doing. Many Christians pray and say, Lord, would you, would you go with me today? I don't want the Lord to come with me today. I want to go with the Lord. Dramatic difference between the two. We can carry Jesus along with us in our pocket like a little rabbit's foot that we rub and say our little prayers and shoot them toward heaven, asking Jesus to do this and do that for us. Jesus is not a Santa Claus. He's not a rabbit's foot for good luck. Jesus is moving in our culture Today, do you know where he's moving? And are you conscious of wanting to walk with him in what he's doing versus wanting him to be your comfort food as you're on your journey, doing what you want to do? If you want to know where Jesus is today, if you want to know where his footsteps can be plainly seen where you can catch sight of him as he walks on this journey, then you have to go back and understand where he started from and where he's going. If you know the road he's going to walk, 
he's much easier to find. If you just go out searching for him, you'll likely never catch sight of him. No, you have to know where he started and where he's going to end up so that you can triangulate the ley line along which he is moving so that if you want to walk with him, you know where you have to walk. For the first 2,000 years of earth's history, we do not know where God walked. It seemed as though he was very distant from the earth for 2,000 years. At the end of that 2,000 years, there seems to be one family, one man, that understands where God walks. And God talks to him. And his name was Noah. During these 2,000 years, men lived to be eight and 900 years of age. And so during these years, men develop such wickedness of heart and build great things. For example, the Sphinx in Egypt built during this first 2,000 years. And if you look carefully at the temple built likewise right beside the Sphinx, it's very clear that even today with the finest engineering and the finest equipment, we could not build the Sphinx and the temple. We have no technological ability to create these. The stones are too close together. They are too heavy. We could not even get equipment in to build it. It's obvious that giant creatures built this thing. And if you look at the Sphinx closely, you will see all of the water lines that have impacted the Sphinx during the flood. And later, as the water slowly drained away, after the flood, there were two great centers that were established. One was once more in Egypt, and the other was in Mesopotamia. Ur, we know it as Ur of the Chaldees, during Abraham's childhood in Ur of the Chaldees, there were no Chaldees. It would not be so for another 900 years. It was just known as Ur. It was a very sophisticated city. Some have said they even had running water in the bathrooms. Not only did they have running water to wash away, but they also had a channel so that as they sat in their bathroom, they could take their sandals off and put their feet in that cool running water. I've never been to a hotel that has that accommodation. So we recognize these were not backward people who built Ur. These were sophisticated people. These were people with great ability. They were not Stone Age people. We have tablets from the time of Abraham with business transactions, with order sheets, with invoices. It was in this place that Abraham and his family lived. So you have God not speaking, not knowing where he's moving until he comes and speaks to Noah. So you have to triangulate from Noah forward. And of course, you immediately come to Abraham. Now, Abraham and Noah were not contemporaries. Years passed, and God began to speak to Abraham and call him out by faith. This is Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed, being called to go out to a place which he was about to receive for an inheritance, 
and he went out not knowing where he was going. Abraham was not called to go to a land flowing with milk and honey. He was not called to go to a land of prosperity. From Abraham's perspective, he was leaving behind the very luxurious city of Ur. He was taking his family out of that culture. He was being called out. If you want to know where the footsteps of God are moving in your life, know that he is moving in calling you out to a promised land. So if you want to hear from God, the first place you have to begin listening is where does God want me to go? Because God will always call us out of the world. He will always separate us from the place of comfort in the culture, often meaning it's time to move. God wants to take you out of the comfort zone and move you into a place where you will have to live like Abraham lived without any ability to provide for yourself, where everything comes from the hand of God. So part of what God wants to accomplish among us, and we spoke of it earlier in the prayer circle, always we are called into a place of parasmus, a place of piercing. Why? So that we will learn to depend on God alone for our resources. Often we're called and don't want to go. And often when we go, others want to drag along with us who, who are not interested in the journey. And they slow us down. They hold us back. They say, you're crazy. You cannot trust God. So the first place we begin to get a clear sense of where God is, is as he speaks to us and he calls us out of wickedness. He calls us out of lying. He calls us out of cheating. He calls us out of every kind of uncleanness. That's the first place we'll begin to comprehend that there is a God and he's calling us out. And if you're not positioning yourself in a place where you want to hear God call you out of wickedness, you will never know where God is walking. If you're comfortable with your place of life, you will not know where God is moving because he will not add himself to your already luxurious life. He just won't do it. The sure sign that we're beginning to understand where God walks is when we understand he's called us to plead with him to open the gates of righteousness in our life. And it is an act of love on God's part. He will begin to call us to spend hours every day in prayer and scripture. He will begin to call us to separate ourselves out to him so that he becomes the fond desire of our heart. If this is not what you want in your life, if you want the things of the world and not the things of the Spirit, you will not hear from God. Now, it's very clear that the passage of God is from Noah to Abraham to Jesus to the second coming of Jesus, to the second coming of Jesus, to eternity. And so I read, by faith Abraham obeyed, being called to go out to a place which he was about to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he's going. When Jesus begins to call us, we have no clue where he's going to take us except we know that he will take us to a place of mercy and grace and love and mac and cheese. Because he becomes home for us. By faith he lived as a stranger in the land of promise, as, a, as in a foreign land, 
dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Now he was looking forward to the city having the foundations whose designer and builder is God. So what was it that gave Abraham the ability to choose to leave Ur? It was only one thing. He had a rhema word from God about the celestial city. He had a rhema word from God that revealed to him the glories of this city of God that had a foundation. Now, I'm going to go home after this service, and I'm going to go into a house, and I'm not even going to think twice about the fact that this house has a solid foundation under it. But believe me, if I left here and went out to the woods and was in a tent, a foundation would be very, very dear to my heart. Especially when it starts to rain and I haven't dug a ditch around my tent and the rain begins to flood in. There's nothing in the world that will make you want a foundation more than a wet bed. I've been there. When I started camping originally, I'd say it's not going to rain, and inevitably it would, and my bed would get wet. This living without a foundation, that's what God has called us to. Us to journey with him, looking forward to a city that has a foundation. And what moves me forward is the certainty that that city is my home. Pilgrim's Progress. Where is Christian headed? He's not just headed aimlessly on a narrow path. He's headed on a narrow and straight path that will finally bring him to the celestial city. There is a destination toward which he's traveling. And on his journey he has opportunity to meet others who are also on this journey. And some of those who claim to be on the journey find it too rigorous because they have no vision of the celestial city, and so they drop off when things get tough. And things always will get tough on the journey. By faith, verse 8, Abraham obeyed being called to go out to a place which he was about to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as a stranger in the land of promise. Now, this is the difficult part, because everything about the Christian life is based on promise. But many of those promises are not fulfilled for us. The promise is there, The promise of the celestial city is there. But I've not yet seen the celestial city. But I'm still on the narrow path because the promise is there. And so with the promise in my heart, it does not remove from me the fact that I am just a pilgrim on this journey. So it's very clear that I have to have a mindset that says, I am a pilgrim on a journey. I frankly don't like to be a pilgrim on a journey. I want to be home. But all my life, I've been on that journey. And my heart longs for the heavenly city. I wish tonight that we could all meet at one of the gates of the New Jerusalem. And sing the song of Moses and the Lamb. And talk about the journey. We're going to have a lot of fun talking about the journey. You know, I every opportunity I get, I want to talk about blue water sailing. I love to blue water sail. But when I finish a journey through the ocean, and I get to shore... If you ask me, do you want to turn around tonight and head back? I'd say, are you kidding me? 
I want this solid earth under my feet. I've spent enough night watches in disorganized sea, struggling, having flying fish slap me in the face through the hours of the night. No, there's nothing romantic about blue water sailing in the middle of the night when you have 10-foot seas that are not organized. But somehow, a few weeks after that experience, that part seems to fade away. And you eagerly talk about your, your trip and all the excitement of the trip. And you're ready to go again. Well, I'm not going to ever be ready to go again on this journey through earth. I'm eager to arrive safely in heaven. But we're going to have many conversations with others who have also made the transit. Others like Noah. I want to hear from Noah if he was able to sleep with the raucous sounds of the elephant trumpeting and other wild animals roaring and the stench of their manure. I wonder if he slept on the top deck, close to the open window. That's where I would have chosen. But I think when we talk with Noah... He's going to tell us of the glories of that trip and how he felt the Lord God of heaven moving that boat, that ark through the water. I want to talk to Abraham. Do you realize Abraham is an old man? He's sitting out in the heat of the day in front of his tent in a bit of shade, and he looks up. And he sees God, and he recognizes him, and he runs. Old men don't run. He runs, and he falls down on his face, and he says, Lord, could I prepare a morsel of bread for you? And in the Hebrew, the word Lord is spelled just slightly different than that which you would use for a person you respected. It is obvious he knew it was God. It was Lord God Jehovah. Come to his house. And then he did not prepare a morsel of bread. He fed the Lord God of heaven the finest calf. He fed the Lord the finest bread made of the finest wheat. He put a whole spread before him. And then he did not sit down with the Lord to eat. Now, in that culture, a woman would not sit down with the men to eat. She would serve them. Abraham took the part of his wife. And he served the two angels and the Lord God of heaven. I want to ask him what it was like to serve the Lord God of heaven a meal, and the Lord ate the beef. And I'll bet it was tender. He lived as a stranger in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Now he was looking forward to the city, having the foundation, whose designer and builder is God. If you want to know where the footsteps of God are, The footsteps of God are always there dealing with sin. The footsteps of God are always there bringing to us the gift of righteousness. If your heart hungers for the gates of righteousness to be opened, the presence of God will be with you. If you recognize that you're on a journey and you are simply following the direction of the Lord, he will walk with you. And you will know him. And he will come and fellowship with you. If you are simply making your transit through this earth's history. And you are not concerned about righteousness. You will never see God. And he will not walk with you.
And you will be left to your own device to do the best you can do, to grab what you can grab, to live whatever lifestyle you choose to live. But you will not know the living God of heaven, and he will not come and eat with you. By faith, even Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. She even gave birth after the time of normal age, because she considered the one having promised as faithful. She considered the Lord God as one who would walk with them and do what he promised he would do for them. We need to have this kind of walk with the Lord God of heaven so that we are not walking on our own. We are not making our own path. We are entirely given over to Jesus for righteousness. And everything we do measured against the word of God Is this pleasing to the Lord God of heaven or is this offensive to the Lord God? This morning as I was leaving the house, the counter in my bathroom was somewhat messed up. I just had time to get where I needed to be. You know what I did? I stopped. I set the counter right. Why? Because the angels of God transit through my house. And I don't want them to see anything that would cause them to feel like I was not appreciative of Jesus and what he's given to me. And so there's order in my house because it's not my house. The Lord God of heaven walks through that house. And so I want things to be ready for the person I love to walk through my place. It's where he meets me. It's where we talk together. It's where the prayer closet is. Now, would he be offended if things were out of place? Maybe not. But I'd be ashamed to have him see it. So, I wouldn't want you to walk into my house and see a mess. It's amazing. Sometimes when I visit folks' house, they'll race around before they answer the door. Pastor's at the door. Get that out of sight. Put that away. What? I'm just a man. I want a journey with Jesus where I know that he will do what he has promised he will do. And so from one man and him as good as being dead, descendants were born and these were in numbers as the stars of heaven, even innumerable as the sand along the shore of the sea. I want my descendants to be as numerous as Abraham's descendants. For the Lord has promised he will bring revival at the National Prayer Chapel. And so I want to walk with Jesus in such a way that he will raise up men and women, that he will do all that is necessary to bring righteousness to this body, that we as a congregation can stand by faith that God will do something amongst us and in us that will allow him to pour his spirit out to save many souls. You see, when you walk in the line with Jesus He opens the door of righteousness and he brings forth the blessing of prosperity. 
prosperity for his kingdom. He brings the fruit of righteousness and he brings the fruit of souls. I walk in every way possible in accord with Jesus because he has planted in my heart the same goal that he has for his own heart. And that is the salvation of men and women. He shaped my heart after his. For the salvation of the lost. Has he shaped your heart that way also? Where concern and compassion rises up in your heart for family members who are not walking with Jesus where he causes you to lay before him in the prayer closet and weep for members of your family who do not know Jesus or who are walking in rebellion against him. So from one man, in him as good as dead, descendants were born, and these were in number as the stars of heaven even innumerable as the sand along the shore of the sea. And these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them from a far distance and having joyfully embraced them, having confessed that they are strangers and sojourners upon the earth. Now the ones saying such things make it clear that they are seeking after a homeland. In fact, if they were mindful of the country from which they came out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But now they long for a better country, that is to say a heavenly country. For this reason God is not ashamed toward them to be called their God For he prepared a city for them. There is something very pleasing to God in a confession from our hearts that we don't belong here anymore. That we are strangers here. And when we begin to confess that we are strangers in this land, something changes in our hearts there is a rigidness that is released because we now have become not settlers, but pioneers. I was born into a pioneer family. My father's father was brought to America as a child and they homesteaded in Iowa. And then when my father was born, they wanted a ranch. And they heard that property was available on the Colorado-New Mexico border. And so they sold all of their furniture except their stove. They loaded the stove on a wagon and their clothing and their utensils for eating. And by wagon, they made their way from Iowa to New Mexico. They were pioneer people. When they got there, they set the stove in place, and then they built a house around it. And they built it out of sod with a dirt floor. And my dad would often laugh and say, Ray, our dirt floor was the cleanest floor I've ever had in my life. He said, Mom would sweep it morning and night. She threw water on it. She packed it down. She smoothed it out until it was like iron. They built an L-shaped house with a patio in front and a porch they could sit on. It was the Greenlee Ranch. On my mother's side, Grandpa's father 
immigrated from Germany. Strauss was their name. They were pilgrims. And then they became settlers. And their whole frame of thinking changed. I cannot afford to be a settler. I'm a pilgrim. I'm not going to settle until I reach the celestial city. Heaven is my home. This earth is not my home. America I love, but America is not my home. Heaven is my home. I'm not going to stop on the journey and try to move into some motel and say, now this is my home. No, a pioneer doesn't stop until they reach the promised land. I will not stop until I reach the celestial city. That's my mindset. I recognize that this congregation is just camping in the All Saints Anglican Church. Would it be nice to have our own building? Yes and no. Because it's so easy when you get your own building to become settlers. No, I've drawn a line from Noah to the celestial city. And I know along that ley line of righteousness, of holiness, of redemption, that's where we find Jesus. That's where he meets with us and talks with us. He's a traveler. He's a pioneer. Jesus is not a settler. He left heaven to come and win our hearts. If you want to meet Jesus, you're going to have to meet him along that line of righteousness and salvation and the winning of others to the gospel. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us at nationalprayerchapel.com. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy with great joy now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ.